Chapter 4, Part 1 of A History of the Philippines. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mario Pineda. A History of the Philippines by David Burroughs. Chapter 4, Part 1. The Great Geographical Discoveries. An Eastern Passage to India, the Portuguese. We have seen in the last chapter how Venice held a monopoly of the only trading route with the Far East. Some new way of reaching India must be sought that would permit the traders of other Christian powers to reach the march of the Orient without passing through Mohammedan lands. This surpassing achievement was accomplished by the Portuguese. So low at the present day has the power of Portugal fallen that few realize the daring and courage once displayed by her seamen and soldiers and the enormous colonial empire that she established. Portugal freed her territory of the Mohammedan Moors nearly a century earlier than Spain, and the vigor and intelligence of a great king, John I, brought Portugal about the year 1400 to an important place among the states of Europe. This king captured from the Moors the city of Ceuta in Morocco, and this was the beginning of modern European colonial possessions, and almost the first land outside of Europe to be held by a European power since the times of the Crusades. King John's youngest son was Prince Henry, famous in history under the title of the Navigator. This young prince, with something of the same adventurous spirit that filled the Crusaders, was ardent to extend the power of his father's kingdom and to widen the sway of the religion which he devotedly professed. The power of the Mohammedans in the Mediterranean was too great for him hopefully to oppose, and so he planned the conquest of the west coast of Africa and its conversion to Christianity. With these ends in view, he established a point Sagers on the southern west coast of Portugal, a naval academy and observatory. Here he brought together skilled navigators, charts and geographies, and all scientific knowledge that would assist in his undertaking. Note 1. See the noted work The Life of Prince Harry of Portugal, surnamed The Navigator, and its results, by Richard Henry Major, London, 1868. Many of the views of Mr. Major upon the importance of Prince Henry's work, and especially its early aims, have been contradicted in more recent writings. The importance of the Sager's observatory is belittled, doubts are expressed as to the far-sightedness of Prince Henry's plans, and the best opinion of today holds that he did not hope to discover a new route to India by way of Africa, but sought simply the conquest of the Guinea, which was known to the Europeans through the Arab geographers who called it Bailat Ghana, or Land of Wealth. The students, if possible, should read the essay of Mr. E. J. Payne, The Age of Discovery, in the Cambridge Modern History, Volume 1. End of Note 1 He began to construct ships larger and better than any in use. To us, they would doubtless seem very clumsy and small, but this was the beginning of ocean shipbuilding. The compass and the astrolab, or sextant, the little instrument with which by calculating the height of the sun above the horizon, we can tell distance from the equator, were just coming into use. 
These, as well as every other practical device for navigation known at that time, were supplied to these ships. Exploration of the African Coast Thus equipped and ably manned, the little fleets began the exploration of the African coast, cautiously feeling their way southward and ever returning with reports of progress made. Year after year, this work went on. In 1419, the Madeira Islands were rediscovered and colonized by Portuguese settlers. The growing of sugarcane was begun, and vines were brought from Burgundy and planted there. The wine of the Madeiras had been famous to this day. Then were rediscovered the canneries, and in 1444 the Azores. The southward exploration of the coast of the mainland steadily continued until 1445 the Portuguese reached the mouth of the Senegal River. Up to this point, the African shore had not yielded much of interest to the Portuguese explorer or trader. Below Morocco, the Great Sahara Desert reaches to the sea and renders barren the coast for hundreds of miles. South of the mouth of the Senegal, and comprising the whole Guinea coast, Africa is tropical, well-watered, and populous. This is the home of the true African Negro. Here, for almost the first time since the beginning of the Middle Ages, Christian Europe came in contact with a race of rotary culture in different color than its own. This coast was found to be worth exploiting, for it yielded, besides various desirable resinous gums, the three articles which have distinguished the exploitation of Africa, namely gold, ivory, and slaves. Beginning of Negro Slavery in Europe At this point begins the horrible and revolting story of European Negro slavery. The ancient world had practiced this ownership of human chattels, and the Roman Empire had declined under the burden of half the population sunk in bondage. To the enormous detriment and suffering of mankind, Mohammed had tolerated the institution and slavery is permitted by the Quran. But it is the glory of the medieval church that it abolished human slavery from Christian Europe. However, dreary and unjust feudalism might have been, it knew nothing of that institution which degrades men and women to the level of cattle, and remorselessly sells the husband from his family, the mother from her child. Slaves in Portugal The arrival of the Portuguese upon the coast of Guinea now revived not only the bondage of one white man to another, but that of the black to the white. The first slaves carried to Portugal were regarded simply as objects of peculiar interest, captives to represent to the court the population of those shores which had been added to the Portuguese dominion. But southern Portugal, from which the Moors had been expelled, had suffered from a lack of laborers, and it was found profitable to introduce Negroes to work these fields. Augments to justify slavery So arose the institution of Negro slavery, which a century later upon the shores of the New World was to develop into so tremendous and a terrible thing. Curiously enough, religion was a book to justify the enslavement of the Africans, the church thought that these people, being heathen, were fortunate to be captured by Christians, that they might thereby be brought to baptism and conversion. For it is better for the body to perish than for the soul to be cast into hell. At a later age, 
when the falsity of this teaching had been realized, men still sought to justify the institution by arguing that the Almighty had created the African of a lower state, especially that he might serve the superior race. The coast of Guinea continued to be the resort of slavers down to the middle of the last century, and such scenes of cruelty, wickedness, and debauchery have occurred along its shores as can scarcely be paralleled in brutality in the history of any people. The Portuguese can hardly be said to have colonized the coast in the sense of raising up there a Portuguese population. As he approached the equator, the white man found that, in spite of his superior strength, he could not permanently people the tropics. Diseases new to his experience attacked him. His energy declined. If he brought his family with him, his children were few or feeble, and shortly his race had died out. The settlements of the Portuguese were largely for the purposes of trade. At Sierra Leone, Cameroon, or Loango, they built forts and established garrisons, mounting pieces of artillery that gave them advantage over the attacks of the natives, and erecting warehouses and the loathsome barracoon, where the slaves were confined to await shipment. Such decadent little settlements still linger a coast along the African coast, although the ocean slave trade happily has ended. The Successful Voyage of Vasco da Gama Throughout the century, Prince Henry's policy of exploration was continued. Slowly, the middle coast of Africa became known. At last, in 1487, Bartolomeu Diaz rounded the extremity of the continent. He named it the Cape of Storms, but the Portuguese king, with more prophetic vision, renamed it the Cape of Good Hope. It was ten years, however, before the Portuguese could send another expedition. Then Banco de Vasco da Gama rounded the Cape again, followed up the eastern coast until the Arab trading stations were reached. Then he struck across the sea, landed at the Malabar coast of India, and in 1498 arrived at Calicut. The end dreamed of all by all of Europe had been achieved. A sea route to the Far East had been discovered. Results of the Gamma's Voyage The importance of this performance was instantly recognized in Europe. Venice was ruined. It was a terrible day, said a contemporary writer, when the war reached Venice. Bells were rung, men wept in the streets, and even the bravest were silent. The Arabs and the native rulers made a desperate effort to expel the Portuguese from the Indian Ocean, but their opponents were too powerful. In the course of twenty years, Portugal had found an empire that had its forts and trading marts from the coast of Arabia to Malaysia, Zanzibar, Aden, Oman, Goa, Calicut, and Madras were all Portuguese stations, fortified and secured. In the Malay Peninsula was captured the city of Malacca, which retained its commercial importance until the last century, when it dwindled before the competition of Singapore. The work of building up this great domain was largely that of one man, the intrepid Albuquerque. Think what his task was. He was thousands of miles from home and supplies. He had only such forces and munitions as he could bring with him in his little ships, and opposed to him were millions of inhabitants and a multitude of Mohammedan princes. 
yet this great captain built up an Indian empire. Portugal at one bound became the greatest trading and colonizing power in the world. Her sources of wealth appeared fabulous, and, like Venice, she made every effort to secure her monopoly. The fleets of other nations were warned that they could not make use of the Cape of Good Hope route on penalty of being captured or destroyed. Reaching India by Sailing West The Earth as a Sphere Meanwhile, just as Portugal was carrying to completion her project of reaching India by sailing east, Europe was electrified by the supposed successful attempt of reaching India by sailing directly west across the Atlantic. This was the plan daringly attempted in 1492 by Christopher Columbus. Columbus was an Italian sailor and cosmographer of Genoa. The idea of sailing west to India did not originate with him, but his is the immortal glory of having persistently sought the means and put the idea into execution. The Portuguese discoveries along the African coast gradually revealed the extension of this continent and the presence of people beyond the equator and the possibility of passing safely through the tropics. tropics. This knowledge was a great stimulus to the peoples of Europe. The geographical theory of the Greeks that the world is round was revived. The geographers, however, in making their calculations of the Earth's circumference, had fallen into an error of some thousands of miles, that is, instead of finding that it is fully 12,000 miles from Europe around to the East Indies, they had supposed it about 4,000 or even less. Marco Polo, too, had exaggerated the distance he had traveled, and from his accounts, men had been led to believe that China, Japan, and the Spice Islands lay much farther to the east than they actually do. By sailing west across one wide ocean, with no intervening lands, it was thought that one could arrive at the island world of the continent of Asia. This was the theory that was revived in Italy, and which clung in men's minds for years and years, even after America was discovered. An Italian named Toscanelli drew a map showing how this voyage could be made and sent Columbus a copy. By sailing first to the Azores, a considerable portion of the journey would be passed with a convenient resting stage. Then, about 35 days favorable sailing would bring one to the islands of Sipango, or Japan, which Marco Polo had said laid off the continent of Asia. From here the passage could really be pursued to Cathay and India. The Voyage of Christopher Columbus The romantic and inspiring story of Columbus is told in many books. His poverty, his genius, his long and discouraging pursuit of the means to carry out his plan. He first applied to Portugal, but, as we have seen, this country had been pursuing another plan steadily for a century, and now that success appeared almost achieved, naturally the Portuguese king would not turn aside to favor Columbus's plan. For years, Columbus labored to interest the Spanish court. A great event had happened in Spanish history. Ferdinand, king of Aragon, had wedded Isabella of Castile, and this marriage united these two kingdoms into the modern country of Spain. Soon, these smaller states, except Portugal, were added, and the war for the expulsion of the Moors was prosecuted with new vigor.
In 1492, Grenada, as a splendid stronghold of the Mohammedans in the peninsula, surrendered. And in the same year, Isabella furnished Columbus with the ships for his voyage of discovery. Columbus sailed from Palos, August 3, 1492, reached the Canaries, August 24th, and sailed westward on September the 6th. Day after day, pushed by the strong winds, called by the trade, called the trades, they went forward. Many doubts and fears beset the crews, but Columbus was stout-hearted. At the end of thirty-four days from the Canaries, on October the 12th, they sighted land. It was one of the groups of beautiful islands lying between the two continents of America. But Columbus thought that he had reached the East Indies that really lay many thousands of miles farther west. Columbus sailed among the islands of the archipelago, discovered Cuba and Hispaniola, Haiti, and then returned to Gumbel's Europe with excitement over the new found way to the east. He had not found the rich spice islands, the peninsula of India, Cathay, or Japan, but everyone believed that this must be close to the islands on which Columbus had landed. The tall, straight-haired, copper-colored natives whom Columbus met on the islands he naturally called Indians, and this name they still bear. Afterwards, the islands were called the West Indies. Columbus made three more voyages for Spain. On the fourth, in 1498, he touched on the coast of South America. Here he discovered the great Orinoco River. Because of its large size, he must have realized that a large body of land opposed the passage to the Orient. He died in, five, in 1506, disappointed at his failure to find India, but never knowing what he had found, nor that the history of a new hemisphere had begun with him. The Voyage of the Cabots In the same year that Columbus discovered the Orinoco, Sebastian Cabot, of Italian parentage, like Columbus, secured ships from the King of England, hoping to reach China and Japan by sailing west on a northern route. What he did discover was a rugged and uninviting coast, with a stormy headlands, cold climate, and gloomy forests of vine reaching down to the sandy shores. For nine hundred miles he sailed southward, but everywhere this unprofitable coast closed the passage to India. It was the coast of Labrador and the United States. Yet, for years and years, it was not known that a continent three thousand miles wide and the greatest of all oceans lay between Cathay and the shore visited by Cabot's ships. This land was thought to be a long peninsula, an island or a series of islands belonging to Asia. No one supposed or could suppose that there was a continent here. Naming the New World But in a few years, Europe did realize that a new continent had been discovered in South America. If you look at your maps, you will see that South America lies far to the eastward of North America, and in Brazil approaches very close to Africa. This Brazilian coast was visited by a Portuguese fleet on the African route in 1500, and two years later another fleet traversed the coast from the Orinoco to the harbor of Rio Janeiro. Their voyage was a veritable revelation. They entered the mighty current of the Amazon, the greatest river on the earth. They saw the wondrous tropical forests, full of monkeys, great snakes, and stranger animals. They dealt and fought with the wild and ferocious inhabitants, 
whose ways startled and appalled the European. All that they saw filled them with the greatest wonder. This evidently was not Asia, nor it was the Indies. Here, in fact, was a new continent, a veritable Mundus Nubus. The pilot of this expedition was an Italian named Amerigo Vespucci. On the return, this man wrote a very interesting letter or little pamphlet describing this new world, which was widely read and brought the right of fame. A few years later, a German cosmographer, in preparing a new edition of Ptolemy's geography, proposed to give to this new continent the name of the man who had made known its wonders in Europe. So it was called America. Long after, when the northern shores were also proved to be those of a continent, this great land was named North America. No injustice was intended to Columbus when America was so named. It was not then supposed that Columbus had discovered a continent. The people then believed that Columbus had found a new route to India and had discovered some new islands that lay off the coast of Asia. End of chapter 4, part 1